0: Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. My name is Dan Hughes. With me today is Chad Farguson. Chad is Senior Portfolio Manager here at Von Nelson. Welcome, Chad. Oh, thank you, Dan. Well, today we're, we're about halfway home for 2017. Uh, any, any themes out there in the marketplace that have surprised you, uh, either positively or, or negative, negatively so far?
1: You know, a lot of stuff is continuing, uh, you know, much as it was in 2016, with one major, major exception. The, uh, there was a ton of market enthusiasm when, uh, when Trump took office. Uh, of course, you probably all remember the, the Trump bump, as some people call it, uh, with equities uh, skyrocketing, really several uh, different sectors skyrocketing as, uh, as Trump took office. The major surprise to me has been the absolute lack of progress on several of the promised uh, actions. So, so far, no tax reform, nothing yet on health care nothing on infrastructure, bank deregulation has not come about. All of these things seem like they would make some or maybe a lot of progress in the first hundred days, if not in the first hundred, at least in the first six months. And here we are, uh, butting right up against the first six months, and we've really got nothing to show for it right now. So that has been, I think, for the market, a, a big surprise, a big change in market expectations. And we had
0: a lot of excitement. Leading up to you know, a number of those things that you just discussed, right, tax reform, healthcare, care, infrastructure, uh, bank deregulation, do you think that excitement is beginning to wane? Do you think folks are
1: running out of patience? They are. I think people are. I think the market is beginning to run out of patience. Certain of these uh, are still expected to work. You can see what um, has actually happened just today with the um, Uh, a new Fed uh, governor being appointed that is much more sort of pro-deregulation. So there are still things moving forward. I think some of these things like bank deregulation are still going to happen. On the other hand, tax reform. It seems like it may not occur. We had a a comment just the other day from one of the the senior folks in the Trump administration, uh, and he basically said, "I'm not sure we're going to get this to happen." So, uh, while I think there is some hope on some of these things, there's also a a lot of skepticism on on other topics.
0: So, do you think that uh, investor sentiment has begun to be
1: reflective in in the prices? Are you starting to see that inside the marketplace today? I I think we are starting to see that in uh, in some of these cases. So, for example. I think investor sentiment still expects uh, some element of tax reform. And so the uh, small cap domestic stocks are still elevated on the expectation of tax reform. So we have not fully decided tax reform won't happen. And yet, with some of these comments from the Trump administration, it's not clear that tax reform is going to happen. So I do think this at this point is more risk to the market than uh, than possible upside. Yeah, that's good.
0: And how about how about energy? So now we've we've settled back down into the mid forty dollar range. Um, it seems like we've been here for a little bit of prolonged stay. Uh, any thoughts um, with regards to, to energy? Uh, just overall and in general before we talk about the por- portfolio specifically.
1: You know, look at overall. Uh, we think that that. You know, U.S. shale is the marginal producer. U.S. shale is going to be producing at lower and lower marginal cost over the next five years. I think every year we'll see that marginal cost, cost march down. So this is going to set the envelope for the price of oil in the absence of really crazy uh, geopolitical events. We'll see that envelope, which was presumed to be 40 to 60 a year ago, is now presumed to be something more, Thirty-eight to fifty-five, and that envelope will continue to march down. I think over time, uh, to the point where you could easily see, you know, the high thirties to fifty will be the uh, the envelope for the price of oil here in, in say two or three years time.
0: And what I'm also hearing here is, is is probably a tighter bandwidth as well.
1: It will be a relatively tight band. I think. I think over time, the producers will show you that they do have discipline that they will not overspend, outspend in a high thirties environment. So I don't think we'll be in high thirties for any period of time. I also don't think we'll see ourselves living above 55 for any period of time either, because there will be a ton of production at that price. Right, right.
0: So uh, in most of 2016, uh, your portfolio value opportunity, um, was a relative underweight uh, within energy uh, so far to this year? Um, you've added adding names um, a little bit closer to even exposure at this point. Um, what kind of companies are you looking for in this space? What are the characteristics that uh, you need to find in you know this this modest uh, level
1: of, of of energy pricing? So within the E names, we're looking for the low cost producers. Uh, we're looking for the um, the companies that are actually applying standard manufacturing cost improvement techniques. This is not something you could do even five years ago. This concept of I have a, uh, an e company, I'm going to act like a manufacturer, and I'm going to actually apply uh, you know, uh, standard techniques to lower my costs steadily over time. Now you can. Not everyone's doing it as well, though. And so we look for guys that are continuing to do that very well. As an example, if you were to look at what WPX is doing, they are doing an amazing job of steadily lowering their costs quarter after quarter of drilling uh, another well. And we think that's just a fantastic way to go.
0: So, so these are, these are low-cost providers who, uh, you know, despite the, you know, adjusted lower uh Price of oil um, will succeed in
1: that type of environment. That's exactly right. They're low cost today, and they will continue to be low cost into the future. That's exactly right. Okay. Another one would be the uh, the services companies and the manufacturers. The as long as as a uh, as a an e as long as the E&P companies are trying to be low cost. If you're a services company, if you're a manufacturer, giving them the services and the parts they need to maintain that low cost position, you're going to do well. There's going to be more activity for you. You're going to do well. So that is, I've got to be focused if I'm if I'm buying a, you know, an oilfield services company in onshore U.S. names.
0: So uh, uh, switching up gears here a little bit and going back to something we discussed at the beginning of the conversation on infrastructure. Um, We've seen a bit of a slowdown in the industrials over the last few weeks. Uh, Do you believe that this is an overextension of price in the market, or do you believe there's less confidence in the infrastructure plan going forward?
1: Well, it's probably a combination of both, and they're probably somewhat somewhat the same thing, I I, I might say. If you look at what's happened here, I think the expectation of future oil price, future commodity price, future activity – All these expectations have come down from where they were just a few months ago. As those expectations have come down, as people have begun to look at 2018 and say, huh, earnings in 2018 for industrials may be less than I thought they were, we should expect the industrials to pull back, perhaps meaningfully in a couple of cases.
0: And on to healthcare. Uh, so, healthcare, um, looking at how value opportunity was positioned last year, had a really heavy overweight. I think at, at maybe your most extreme, you were close to about 4x overweight uh, to what the index had. Um, today, we're much more in line, almost uh, almost exactly in line, uh, with the Russell Midcap Value Index. Why the reduction in the overall position size? Um, what kind of companies did you elect
1: to move away from? Um, and, and maybe I'll start with that. So, look, we think over time, healthcare is one of the very few clearly Secularly growing parts of the economy. There will be more healthcare in the economy a decade from now than there is today. About that, there seems to be, uh, I, I think, no question. I think it's just almost incontrovertible. That said, deciding today with healthcare reform as uncertain as it is, deciding today which companies are going to succeed a year, two years, and three years from now has gotten harder. And so we've decided that over the next uh, 12 18 months it's a little less clear right now who's going to win who's going to lose as those uh healthcare names are struggling we decided to go ahead and pull back from that uh, that overweight and get back to an even weight and leave ourselves just in names in businesses that we thought would win no matter what businesses that really doesn't matter which way healthcare reform runs Um, except for certain absolutely extreme examples, which seem almost impossible to to come about, these businesses are going to win over time.
0: Can you share uh, an example of the the type of company that you believe would win in either scenario?
1: So a a good example would be Centene. Centene uh, provides uh, Medicaid services to the states. And so if a state needs to improve the way it's running its Medicaid program, uh, get more from its Medicaid dollars, and which state doesn't need to do this, Centene has proven over time that they are the best at doing that. And so we believe that sticking with Centene, Centene's going to work no matter what happens here. Every state is going to continue to need to get more value from the Medicaid dollars they have. We think Centene is the best provider to do that.
0: Great, thanks. All right, jumping into some uncharted territory here, uh, the first utility name to go into value opportunity in, in a number of years uh, found its way in th- in the second quarter. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the name, um, why now, and what this specific name does that is different from uh, and has changed your
1: stance on, on the world of uh, utilities? Certainly. So this is Hardly a utility, uh, but it does get classified as a utility. So this, is, this name is Atlantica Yield. Atlantica Yield is actually a renamed company. It had been called Abengoa Yield until uh, not so long ago. It was a subsidiary of the Spanish construction firm, Abengoa. That construction firm created the Abengoa Yield Company to be a place to, uh, to drop down, if you will, uh, to sell their uh, solar and wind power projects. So... What was called Abengoa Yield is now called Atlantica Yield, and is now actually no longer associated with Abengoa. Abengoa is going through bankruptcy. They do still have a position that they're uh, they're selling down, but really this is now its own uh, independent company. What does this company have? This is very simple. They own assets which have very long lives. So these are solar plants with 30 year lives. These are wind farms with 30 year lives. Uh, these are some other uh, some conventional uh, electricity generation plants with again 25 30 year lives. And these long-lived assets have long-term locked-in contracted cash flows with very, very creditworthy counterparties. So what do we really have here? Yes, it's kind of a utility. They do generate electricity. That's what they do. Uh, But it is not nearly the same because what they're doing is they're generating electricity to then sell to other utilities, to then sell to other folks that that sell that electricity on. And and Atlantica Yield has a locked-in 8% IRR. And so we own this name because we believe that with nothing else happening, the management team can go to sleep tomorrow and do zero, and we're going to earn 8%. Now, we don't think the manager team is going to go to sleep tomorrow. We've actually met this team. They seem like one of the smartest teams around as far as knowing what they're doing. We think they're going to continue to create value. As that team continues to create value, we believe we can get ourselves to that mid-double-digit return, that 15% return that we're looking for over time in the value opportunity fund.
0: So sticking with uh, looking at the three themes that we typically invest in, right? the, the undervalued growth, undervalued asset and undervalued dividend, um, sounds like we're going to get close to two-thirds of our expected return um, coming off, off the yield. So I guess that leads to the next question of, you know, in, in, a, in a world with uh, you know, zero to extremely low interest rates, um, in a world where we've seen yield proxies get bid up uh, heavily over the last couple of years, um, why have folks been slow uh, to, to move into a name like Atlantic, Atlantic Yield?
1: You know, Atlantica Yield has been a complicated story. It has been complicated because it was tied to this parent company named Abengoa. People saw that name, Abengoa Yield. They saw that Abengoa was going through bankruptcy. And I think people just got worried. Uh, there's been this uh, a little bit of a belief that the uh, slightly less than 40% of the stock that Abengoa owned uh, created an overhang in the market. We don't think there's really much of an overhang there at all, but there's been some belief of that. And so complicated story tied to a company going through bankruptcy, a little bit of, a, of an equity overhang, and a number of investors just say, you know, I'm not going to worry about that. Right. They just sort of push that away. Sure. Just, just the work they're going into it may not be uh, maybe worth it. Okay, gotcha.
0: All right. That's great. So um, how about this? Just on our, our last few minutes here that I have you, um, any parting comments that you'd like to uh, discuss with, uh, with, the,
1: with the folks listening at home? You know, I'll tell you one of the things that we found it was true last year, uh, and is, is if you will, even more true this year, is that this market is uh, we're finding bifurcated. And so, one of the most interesting things that we're noticing is that there's either, as you said um, a moment ago, there are these yield, these safe yield names, and these safe yield names. Certain utilities have been bid up tremendously. They're sitting at 24 and 25 times PEs, kind of numbers that, uh, by my lights, hardly make any sense. On the other hand, there are entire swaths of the market, tons of, private, of, of public companies that are in danger of being disrupted by the big market disruptors, by the media disruptors, Facebook and Google, by the retail disruptor, Amazon, by the sharing economy disruptors, such as, as Uber. And so we find ourselves in this interesting market where there are very safe Uh, names, seemingly safe names that have been priced very highly. Of course, the, the, the classic craziest example of this is the U S treasury, which is priced at, uh, you know, a 2.38% yield or so today on the one hand, we've got these names on the other hand, we have these names, which are being quote left for dead. And that's kind of what these, these companies are. So traditional media companies, uh, in many cases, these, uh, for example, broadcasters have been left for dead. And we think that doesn't make sense uh, in all cases. Uh, some names, uh, a good example, uh, Hertz or Avis have been a little bit left for dead because people think, oh, they can't compete with Uber. Now maybe that's right, but in all these cases, I'm not sure it's all right. So all the retailers that have been left for dead— and you're all already of seeing these,
0: Hertz and David and Avis with the news over the last couple of weeks, starting to make a move, right? That's exactly Part- right. Partnering with autonomous cars and, and autonomous driving, right? They're, are they are they saying, okay, look, if we don't adapt,
1: we're dinosaurs? That that's exactly right. And so what we're finding is there are a number of these companies that, while left for dead by public market investors, mm-hmm. are picking themselves up, are finding new ways to compete. And certainly we find ourselves investing in names like this at times where we think, look, it, that looks like it's been left for dead. We don't right. think they're dead. We think that's actually money good. Right. And we think there are a lot of values to be found there if you do it correctly. Right. That's great. Well, perfect.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Again, uh, that was Chad Farguson, Senior Portfolio Manager at, here at Vaughn Nelson. Uh, my name is Dan Hughes. If you have any questions or any thoughts you'd like to share with the Portfolio Management team, please feel free to email me at dhughes at Thank you.
2: The analysis and opinions referenced herein represent the subjective views of Daniel Hughes and Chad Ferguson on July 10, 2017, and are subject to change at any time based on market and other conditions. This material is provided for informational use only and should not be construed as investment advice. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Any reference to specific securities, sectors, or markets within this material does not constitute investment advice or a recommendation or an offer to buy or to sell any security or an offer of services. This communication is for information only and is intended for investment professionals only. This material may not be redistributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Although Natixis Global Asset Management believes the information provided in this material to be reliable, it does not guarantee the accuracy, adequacy, or completeness of such information. Provided by NGAM Distribution LP. For investment professional use only. Adtrax one eight five two nine four two point one point one pod 950717, expiration 1231.17.